Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 tonight. We are looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and we can learn a lot about prayer by studying the prayers in the Bible. And tonight I want to look at three things of this prayer, the context of Paul's prayer, the content of Paul's prayer, and then the conclusion of Paul's prayer. Paul begins with these words in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner person, you see. That Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts through faith so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him whose power is working in us that can do far beyond what we ask or think to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. First of all, note a couple of things as far as the context goes. It's not a long prayer. <laughs> we don't need to pray long prayers in order to, for them to be good prayers or effective prayers. Notice also, there are no big words, no big theological terms. It's a very practical prayer and a very simple prayer, yet a very powerful prayer. Notice it is a prayer for others. Paul here is not praying for himself. He is praying for the Ephesian Christians. And notice specifically what he's praying for them for. He's praying for their spiritual maturity. He's praying for their spiritual growth. It is something that you and I, if we truly love our brothers and sisters and care about them, we should be praying for other Christians' spiritual maturity and growth. And hopefully there are other Christians praying for our spiritual maturity and growth. And we'll talk about that content in just a moment. A couple other things about the context of this prayer. Notice Paul starts out, for this reason. This is the second time he's used this phrase. He uses it in chapter 3, verse 1. Here he's using it again, saying, here's why I have been moved or motivated or inspired to pray this particular prayer, because I'm going back to what I've just talked about. I'm going back to what God has revealed to me, and what he's revealed to me is this grand plan that God has that is so amazing. Jesus even said, greater works than I have done, you will do. He's talked about how Jew and Gentile are being brought together. He's talked about last week how the church is the university for angels. All these things are so beyond Paul and so beyond any of us that literally it drives Paul to his knees in prayer. In fact, I was struck by the fact that if you and I aren't living a life 
that is big enough to drive us to our knees in dependence and reliance upon God, then we're not living big enough. Because Paul's like, God, this is so big. This is so great. This is so grand that I got to pray about this. I got to pray for them. I got to pray for myself. But I can't, I can't do this on my own. If you and I are part of something in our life, and even as a church, that we feel like we can do this, we've got the stuff that it takes, and, and we can do this on our own without literally every moment relying and depending upon God, then we're not dreaming big enough. We're not doing big enough. We're not locked into what God wants to, to do in our lives because God wants us to be part of something so beyond us so much bigger than ourselves that literally it drives us to prayer. And that was Paul. You'll also notice something interesting here. That Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Kneeling in prayer was not a common thing in Paul's day. In fact, the majority of people stood to pray, not kneeled to pray. In fact, Jesus even points this out in his parable, if you remember from the Gospel of Luke of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and Jesus said they went up to the temple to pray, and they both were standing, but that the tax collector stood afar off, but they were still standing, because that was the posture of prayer in Jesus' day, was you stood to pray. But here, Paul is literally kneeling. Why is he kneeling? I think, again, because in his posture, he is demonstrating humility. He is demonstrating reliability. He is demonstrating dependability. He's like, God, I got nothing. I need you, and they need you, God. And so I'm coming humbly to kneel before you and ask in your mercy and grace, would you pour yourself out upon us, God? For this reason I kneel before the Father. Something you and I always need to keep in mind as we pray, that we are praying to our Heavenly Father. And as we said Sunday, our Heavenly Father loves us as much as the Son, as much as the Holy Spirit. He loves us. And he has our best interests at heart. And we can always know that we have the heart of the Father when we approach him in prayer. And we can literally come very confidently and very boldly and without reservation because we know that the door of our heavenly Father's throne room in heaven will always be open to his children. You see. So that's the context of this prayer. What is the content? Well, notice the first thing Paul says is he says, I pray that according to the wealth of your glory. I, I love that phrase. God's, and, and by the way, the glory of God is what he manifests, what is visible. Did you ever think about the fact that there's so much about God that you and I don't ever even know or see because there's so much more about God that he either hasn't revealed yet, hasn't made manifest, or simply can't because we would just sort of be overwhelmed by it, you see, because he's infinite. 
But he says, your glory, God, even what we can see, even what is manifested, even what is visible, your absolute perfections, there's a wealth there. And he says, I'm praying that according, not out of your wealth of your glory, but according to the same kind of concept that he prays uh, for the Philippians when he says, my God will supply all your need, not out of your riches and glory, but according to. In other words, as God dispenses and disposes and bestows all these wonderful gifts to all of us, it's not like uh, his supply is diminished. Like he looks around and goes, oh, I, I don't have much left. God can give and give and give, and there's still an infinite amount to give. So God's resources never run out. Keep that in mind. And Paul says, I pray that according to the wealth of your glory, that you would strengthen the Ephesians. Strengthen them with your power. And by the way, this word power is very interesting. It speaks about a prevailing power. A power that, yeah, it, it's going to have obstacles, it's going to face challenges, it's going to have trials, but it's going to prevail. It's not like life's going to be easy, but that the power that God gives us is going to be a prevailing power, a power that can overcome, a, a power that can be victorious, a, a power that can meet the challenges and meet the obstacles and whatever and can continue to keep going. That kind of power. Paul says, I want you, God, to give them that kind of strength. And how does it happen? Notice, he says, through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Strengthen them with your power through the Spirit in the inner person. That inner spiritual strength that only comes from the Holy Spirit. So the first content of Paul's prayer, strength. Be strengthened. It's a good pair of prayer for us to pray for ourselves and for other Christians. To be strong. To have that prevailing power that rests inside of us. And it only comes, notice, through the Holy Spirit. Well, some Christians would say, well, wait a minute. We all have the Holy Spirit, right? Don't I automatically then have that strength? Yes and no. It's available to us through the Spirit, but it isn't automatically appropriated or enacted in our life, we've got to sort of plug into it. Think of yourself this way. Every Christian is a hybrid spiritual vehicle. Okay, we're, we're familiar with that nowadays, right? You, you can, you know, a hybrid vehicle can run on gas and also can run on the charge, right? Well, as Christians, we're a hybrid. We can run on our own strength. And, and our own gas, if you will, and obviously run out, or every day we can plug into the Holy Spirit and receive a charge that will never run out, and we can run off of His power instead of ours. And God gives us the choice. You want to live life in your own strength, that's fine. But know this, Christian, that when you begin to rely and depend upon the Holy Spirit who already lives in you, you have an unlimited source of strength and prevailing power that rests in you. You just need to plug into it, you see. And that even goes back to this whole concept of fellowship and staying connected and staying in contact with God each and every day. So that's the first thing Paul prays for is strengthening. The second thing is he prays for them to be settled. Notice in verse 17 that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. Not only a strengthening, but a settledness in your life. Because that's what the word dwell means. It means, even as a Christian, don't let Jesus just be an infrequent visitor into your life. Because he wants to come down and he wants to literally take up permanent residence and just settle down and just dwell in your heart. And the way that happens, notice Paul says, is through faith. Is there a settledness in our life? And Paul is praying not only for this strength for the Ephesians, he's praying for a settledness in their life. Is it possible for Christians to be unsettled? Absolutely. Why? When we're not living by faith, when we're not walking by faith, we are going to live an unsettled life even as a Christian. Again, we can be in relationship with God, but not in fellowship with God because the only way to be in fellowship with God is to walk by faith because God says in his word, without faith, it's impossible to please me even. Why is faith the key to a settledness? Well, think back to the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. Remember many times in their history that even though they had God and they saw the miracles of God and they saw the power of God and whatever, they were always looking around at other things and other nations because they, they weren't quite sold on the fact that God had them and, and that, that God could take full care of them and that, that if they just relied on God rather than anything else or anyone else, they could achieve victory. Because remember many times in the Old Testament, God would chide them, say, why are you looking to Egypt? What's Egypt got that I don't have? Yeah, Egypt's got chariots and horses and all those things, but I'm the almighty God. Why are you looking to Syria? Why are you looking to Assyria? See, they were always like really not sold and settled and putting their full weight on God in faith so they were living very unsettled because they were looking here, they were looking, and that's what we can do as Christians. See, when we, when we don't allow Christ to literally dwell in our heart by faith, then we're always looking to someone or something else either to fulfill us, satisfy us, make us secure, uh, you know, make us feel good, all, all these things. We're always looking outside of the one who already dwells within us. And so Paul is saying, I'm praying for you to be strengthened, I'm praying for you to be settled. Then Paul says, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able then to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and thus to know the love of God that surpasses even knowledge. The next thing Paul prays for is for them to be secure in the love of God. When he says, I want you to get to a place where you are rooted and grounded in God's love, that's security. And we sang about it tonight. We've talked about it. We pray about it. That, that God's love would become so real to us and that we would receive God's love for us that there would be such a security there that we wouldn't need to look for security in any other direction or in anyone or anything else other than God. If we truly believe God's love is in us, surrounds us, is wrapped around us, that nothing can separate us from God's love, then we are as secure as we could possibly be. There is no security greater than the love of God in our lives. And Paul says, I want you to be grounded and rooted in that love.
for you to feel so secure every day that God's love has you, you see. And God's love is never going to let you go. You know, Jesus said, no one is stronger than my father and therefore no one's ever going to be able to pluck you out of my father's hand. You're, you're in the hand of God. And there's no one or nothing stronger than that. And notice then, Paul says, once I have that security, then as I live my life, I will be able to comprehend the breadth and the height and the length. What's Paul saying? Very interesting word. The word comprehend is actually a military word. It's a word that speaks about through the battles. So think about what Paul's saying. He's saying the reason we need to get to a place in our life where we're not only strengthened and settled, but we're secure in the love of God is because we're going to have to fight some battles. We're going to have to go through some trials and challenges and all of these things. And he says, isn't it that way that I, even as a Christian, I begin to just have the assurance and the reaffirmation and the confirmation of how much God loves me through the battles of life? Because every battle I go through, I know that God has never left me nor forsaken me. I know that God's love is always there and nothing separates me from the love of God. And that God is always there and he's faithful and he's trustworthy and all of that. And through every battle that I go through, I can actually comprehend and see even greater how broad, how high, how deep, and how wide the love of God is for me and for anyone else. And in a sense, to get to a place where we begin to scratch the surface on knowing the unknowable, because Paul even says, this love that God has for us surpasses knowledge. And yet we can begin to sort of start to wrap our minds and hearts around how much God loves us by being strengthened, by being settled, by being secure. And then one final audacious request that Paul has for the Ephesians that sort of ends the content of his prayer. That you may be at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now that's a prayer right there. And since I love alliteration, the word is, saturated. Paul says, I'm not only praying for you to be strengthened and settled and secure, I'm praying for you to be saturated in God. Literally filled up. Because that's what God wants. That's what God wants. You see, as I've shared before, and I've been reminded of my whole Christian life, when you and I are saved, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we get all of God, but God doesn't get all of us. <laughs> so our Christian life, part of that is surrendering more and more of the parts of our life, the parts of our character, uh, the things that we want to hold on to, the things that we want to control, the things that we don't want to release, the things that we don't want to trust God with. It's, it's learning to hand those over to God and literally being saturated so that every part, that, because God wants to permeate 
every part of our being. He wants to permeate every part of our life. He doesn't want to not be a part of anything in our life and any part of our life. That's why if you understand even this phrase out of uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, it would totally blow away anybody who believes in compartmentalizing Christianity. That, that somehow there is the secular and the sacred. And I've got the sacred part of my life, you know, the religious part, the God part, but I've got the... No, no, no. To God, there is no compartmentalization. To God, it's all our, ours under him. It, it's all his. Every part of our life, everything that we do. I mean, Paul even said to the Corinthians, even whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. No exceptions, nothing at all. Everything saturated, everything permeated with God. Paul says, that's my prayer for you. That in a sense, you will just get to the place in your life, Ephesian Christians, where you will just stand under the waterfall that is God and just let him drench you. And just be filled up with God. So empty yourself of yourself and empty yourself of all the other things that's, that's keeping, you know, some compartments of your life and some places in your life to where God can't get in there yet. Open up that door and let God flood in. Let him take over. That's what it means to be filled up with all the fullness of God. And can you imagine what a group of Christians who are filled up with all the fullness of God would be like? Can you imagine a church filled with people that are filled up with all the fullness of God? What would that be like? Well, hopefully we're going to get there. Because can I tell you, I've been praying this prayer for the Oasis for many, many months now my brothers and sisters here at the Oasis would be strengthened, that they would be settled, that they would be secure, and that they would be saturated in God. But Paul doesn't end with that. Notice this great conclusion, two great verses, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. First of all, verse 20, Paul says, I want God's people to recognize that he is our sufficient source. That whatever we need, God has it. Because there is no one more able than God. Not only that, Paul says, yes, God is able. But notice, Paul even goes beyond that. Paul says to the Christian, do you realize that God is able to go beyond? Oh, no, no, no. Far beyond. Even what you and I could ask or think of him. That's a sufficient God. That's a God that's more than enough for us, shall we say. That's a God that no matter what we need, he's got it. In fact, he's more than got it because he is more than able to be there for us, to meet our needs, to be, you know, to give us whatever resources, whatever grace, whatever strength, whatever, you know, comfort, peace, joy, wh whatever it is, God is more than able to do it. 
Paul wants the Ephesians and wants you and I to walk away from this passage knowing God is our sufficient source. He is a sufficient God. There is nothing or no one in the universe more sufficient than him. He is enough for me. If he's all I have, he's absolutely all I need. You see. And if there's seven words, seven words that I would like to leave with you tonight that will change your life if you wrap your life around them, they, they are these seven words. God is able to do far beyond. God is able to do far beyond. God is able to do far beyond. Those seven words can transform your life. For this reason, I don't know right now in your life what you're praying about, what you're thinking about, what's concerning you, what's stressing you, what's maybe causing anxiety or concern, but I know this. God is able to do far beyond. That's what I know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what mountain it is, but I know this. God is able to do far beyond. Whatever you're asking, whatever you're thinking, Paul says, oh, no, no, you don't understand. God's able to do even far beyond that. Are we really asking big enough? Are we thinking big enough? Because that's one of the things that Paul's saying here sort of indirectly. He's saying, again, God showed me this plan that's just drove me to my knees. And so often as Christians, whether it's individually or as a church, we're just not thinking big enough. We're not believing big enough because we're limiting what God can do in and through us, either as a community of believers or through our individual lives, based upon us and our limitations and our hang-ups and our, you know, all these things, instead of saying, no, no, I'm talking about the God who is able to do far beyond, you see. Far beyond. And then, verse 21, Paul says, and because we have a relationship and we are in fellowship with this God, to him be the glory, first of all, in the church. And what Paul is saying there is not only in verse 20 is God our sufficient source, he is also, verse 21, to be our supreme significance. That's what that word means in verse 21. That God would be the greatest worth, the greatest value, the highest priority, the greatest significance. And where does Paul say we should see it? In the church. And who's the church? We are. God's people. You see, God now, instead of dwelling in a, a building as he did in the, in the Old Testament, as in the temple or the tabernacle, now he dwells in us. And we are the church. And Paul is saying, people should be able to see by our priorities and the way we live and what we value and all that, that God, is our supreme significance in our life. There's no one or nothing more significant, of greater value, of greater worth to us than God. Because Paul says, 
God will be supremely significant throughout eternity. He already is supremely significant as seen through Jesus Christ and the way Jesus Christ lived his life on this earth and where he's at right now. And to all generations to come and forever and ever, Paul says, amen, Paul says, God is going to be seen in the universe throughout eternity as the supremely significant one. So Paul says, church, why don't we begin showing everyone around us that he is supremely significant now. To him be the glory. Be the glory. What a prayer. And yet it's not a long prayer. It's not a fancy prayer. It's not a prayer with a lot of big words that people can't understand. It's actually a very simple, very practical prayer. But it's a prayer from Paul's heart. And by the way, let's not miss this before we close tonight. This is a prayer that Paul's praying for other Christians while he's chained to a Roman guard in prison. Let's remember that. And Paul isn't there feeling sorry for himself and thinking about himself. No, Paul is on his knees praying this prayer for the Ephesian Christians that he loves so much. Can you imagine being the Roman guard chained to Paul while he's pouring out his heart to God in prayer like this? This guy, he's either got something that I want or he's the craziest guy I've ever, you know, been around. But here's what I want to leave with us tonight. I think we should be comforted by the fact that we can be strengthened and settled and secure and saturated in God tonight. And hopefully this is a prayer that in its content we can pray for ourselves and we can begin to pray for our fellow Christians. But two, this is also a prayer that should also encourage and comfort us in this way. We have been reintroduced tonight to the God who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. And no matter what we are facing, we need to cling to that truth that our God is absolutely sufficient he is absolutely enough. He can do far beyond even what you and I could dream up, think up, or ask him for. Are we living big enough? Are we dreaming big enough? Are we thinking big enough? Are we praying big enough? Because God is a big God. And God wants his people to live in his bigness. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for reminding us of who you are and who we can be in you. And God, that's, that's really where worship starts. It starts with us just realizing who you are and who we are in you. God, that alone should drive us to our knees. That alone should raise our voices. That alone should lift our hands. That alone should motivate our feet to get to serving and ministering and working. Because God, you're a big God. And you want us to be part of this big thing that you're doing both now and throughout eternity. 
And I pray, God, that as a church and as individuals within this church, that we would no longer limit you, God, into what you want to do in us individually and what you want to do in us and through us as a church, but that we would once and for all recognize that you are a God who is more than able to do far beyond all that we could ever ask or think. And that, God, if we would just simply begin to live for your glory, to make you the supremely significant one in our life, the priority, the passion, that there's nothing and no one of greater worth or value to us than you. Because, God, throughout eternity, that will certainly be the case. May we, as your people now, get on board with that program and begin to not only see it make a difference in our lives, but begin to make a difference in all the lives that we touch around us each and every day. Take these folks home safely tonight. And God, may we even now begin to get stirred to come back together on Sunday to not let this time of worship and this time in the Word come to an end, but just sort of be extended. And that, Lord, even as we go home tonight, we'll just extend our worship into tomorrow and extend our worship into Friday and Saturday and, and come back on Sunday just ready to put our worship on again, God, and to get in your Word once again and to engage with you and, God, allow you to move in this place and work in our lives like only you can do. Would you excite us, God, for you? These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.